I can write that later. Well, I hope everyone settled on that last uh, item on your list, that uh, the thing that matters most to you above all else. Now, um, you should know that that is just between you and God, so you don't need to show that to uh, anyone next to you. Don't, don't be looking over their shoulder on their imaginary paper, right? So that's our subject today, and I'm trying to get everything positioned here. I think I fell apart when I uh, took my mask off. We're good? <laughs> okay. We'll be looking at Romans, as you can see on the screen, Romans um, chapter 9, verses 1 to 3 this morning, and uh, we'll be focusing especially on verse 3 and where that takes us. Would you pray with me uh, before we open God's Word? Lord, lead us through your Word this morning. These are your words that you have for us. So, Lord, help us to treasure them. Help us to make use of them in a way that honors and glorifies you. Help us to make use of them in a way that transforms our lives more and more into the image of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So Romans 9, 1 through verse 3, we'll begin there. We'll have several other passages we'll be looking at as well. Paul speaking here, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This is the Word of God. So to understand this, um, and there's been, theologians have been all over the place with this, but uh, I think the, what it says here, the most straightforward approach, I think is the best one. And in order to really see where he's coming from, and to make sure that we understand that Paul certainly believes in the sufficiency of the gospel, and he's not wanting to take away from that in what he is saying here, but this is something that is really driving his heart in terms of what he just anguishes over. And so he expresses something pretty extreme and pretty radical here in terms of what he is willing to do, although he knows he can't do it, although he knows it won't make any difference in light of what he has already said. If we back up just a little bit, into the previous chapter, at the very end, we have this assurance that he is absolutely sure of himself, along with everything else that he has said about the sufficiency of the gospel and his hope in the gospel and everything that Christ has accomplished for us. He says this, I am sure 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul had certainly uh, a very strong understanding, a strong hope in the sufficiency of the gospel. But this, what he says here in verse 3, that I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my kinsmen. He speaks of a willingness that goes that far, that far, because of something greater than everything else that he had hoped for. And we can look at some of those things. What he expressed, like for instance, in, uh, in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1 and in chapter 3, we get a good picture of those things that he just would cling to, things that he hoped for more than anything else. It says far, in, in uh, chapter 1 of Philippians, starting at verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For if I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor uh, for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. To be with Christ That is far better. And yet here, in Romans 9.3, he says that I would be willing to be cut off from Christ. What would drive him to say such a thing? And then over in Philippians 3, starting at verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And drop down to verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings and become like Him in His death, that I may by any means possible, that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And here he's willing to give all that up. What could cause Paul to be willing to throw away everything that he had lived for and would die for and had hoped for, including his desire for his union with Christ and the demon suffering and death? To give up knowing Christ more fully in every way possible. His hope of the resurrection and on and on. What could possibly be so much more important that he would be willing to throw everything else away for it. What could be more lofty than those things that he had already described that are all the things that flow out of the gospel? And it's not out of some need or duty or obligation, but a passion for a purpose that is greater that captured his heart's desire above every other desire and set him free from self-interest like nothing else could. Moses, Moses had a very similar passion that also drove him 
in the same way. Here's what he says in Exodus 32. We'll start at verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone. This is God speaking to Moses on the mountain. Therefore, now let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Hmm, great offer. But here's Moses' response to God. But Moses implored the Lord God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent this disaster against your people. Remember, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bring on his people. And then you drop down to verse 32 to really emphasize what's happening here. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. God's holy name and his reputation as far as Moses was concerned, is what was at risk if this was to happen. God's holy name was so much more important to Moses than even his own life and even his own salvation and even his own inheritance. So what is it? What is it for you? above all else, that drives every thought, every choice, every action in your life. What is your greatest passion? What is so important that it would cause you to be willing to sacrifice everything else for that one purpose or outcome? If we go to Romans, if we jump ahead a little bit, we go to Romans chapter 12 to that familiar verse that we all know. Probably many of you have it memorized. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what would produce such worship? A worship that involves sacrifice of self. As Jesus calls us, take up your cross daily and follow me. The denial of self in every way. How far? How far would that take you? 
How far are you willing to go with that sacrifice that brings you into that pleasing worship? What would produce such worship? What would you have such a passion for that you would sacrifice everything for it, including your own life? What would drive your love for God so much that you would be willing to go so far as to be not Abraham offering Isaac on the altar, but to be Isaac on the altar? What is it that you really live for above all else? What purpose or desire would flow out of your love for God and yet surpass that love and then produce an even greater love and a greater worship? What could possibly be greater than even our own personal relationship with God? That's what Paul was willing to give up. Can you imagine that? Wow, there has got to be something greater, greater, greater than holding on to His promises, greater than even our own salvation and the promised eternal inheritance. Giving all that up is is how far Paul was willing to go because something greater was worth it all and then some. What for you is worth more than everything so that you would be willing to give up everything for it. The answer starts with God. The answer starts with God Himself and why He made us in His own image. We were made for this one thing. You see, and what's behind was behind this living sacrifice that we have in in Romans 12 excuse me let me go back in Romans 12:1 if we back up again just a few verses we go and we get the answer right here in Romans 11 verses 33 to 36 let me read that for you oh and this is This is a doxology, and it's a doxology because he's just overflowing with this this great passion, again, for this one thing. This is where Paul was going all along, and then from here on, then he goes on into how to live that out in our lives from chapter 12 on. This is where he's been taking us, and this is where he has landed. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? And then this gets to it. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. There should be nothing, there should be nothing in our lives that stands in the way of or is not driven by 
a passion for God's glory above all else. 1 Corinthians 10.31 puts it this way. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is how we live every moment. And according to Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Every good that others see in us is for God's glory. That's what counts. David said in Psalm 108.5, and we could go to many psalms that express the same idea. And yeah, just many. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now David's zeal that we read about earlier, David's zeal for honoring God and his purposes above all else is what kept David from promoting himself at Saul's expense, even though he knew he was already anointed to be king. He didn't seize it because he wanted to honor God because he recognized Saul as God's anointed and that would be an offense against God. How dare he do that in his own mind? He couldn't do that with a clear conscience. I mean, he he didn't even have a clear conscience in just cutting a corner of his robe. It's what Joseph had in mind when he ran from the advances of Potiphar's wife and also when he returned good instead of evil to his brothers. And it was all that Stephen cared about even while he was being stoned. And it was so much at the center of John the Baptist's heart, and it's what drove his life. I mean, even from within the womb while he was filled with the Holy Spirit there, his whole life was about somebody else. His whole life was emptied of himself throughout. So that he would say things about Jesus like, I must, or he, excuse me, he must increase, but I must decrease. Like, I am not fit to even stoop down and untie his shoes. They also said that he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. <laughs> Calling himself the friend of the bridegroom. His purpose in life was to announce the bridegroom's entrance into this world to claim his bride. And his big thrill was just to be there and to hear the bridegroom's voice. His whole life was about pointing to Christ and his glorious presence as both the Lamb of God and as the bridegroom that we see also revealed in the book of Revelation in all His glory. And Jesus, Jesus Himself brought the glory of God 
like no other. Jesus himself brought the glory of God into our midst. He expressed that desire in his prayer in John 17, as well as his desire to have God's glory seen through the unity of his church. It was for God's glory that he said and did everything, including going to the cross to bear the weight of God's wrath for our sins. And then take a closer look sometime. Take a closer look this week, today, at both the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. And you'll see God's glory as primary and woven all the way through all of it. And then go to the greatest commandment. You know, the greatest commandment to love God with everything that makes you, you. To love God and to love your neighbor is what brings our whole being into a pure focus on the glory of God. And Scripture just goes on and on about God's glory at the center of everything. This morning, we only have time and the time remaining to just barely even scratch the surface of it. And to look at this one fundamental truth. This one fundamental truth that everything, everything in heaven and on earth is made for God's glory. And especially you and me. In fact, the Bible even indicates that all of creation is groaning, waiting in anticipation for the glory of the sons of God. That is our purpose. And that is what matters most. So much so that everything else depends on it. As I said, all even all of creation. It's all about honoring God's name above all else, even at the risk of everything else. It's a total commitment to live for God's glory at, at any and every cost to self, not out of duty, but just like with Paul, but out of a heart devoted to nothing less. It's a total commitment to live for God's glory at the cost of self, not out of duty, but out of a heart devoted to nothing less. Too often we settle for much less than, in fact, we were made for, which is so much greater than anything else. We were always meant to glorify God. And find in that eternal joy. Our greatest, our most satisfying delight. Sarah Luker uh, shared this very fitting quote with me as we were discussing worship. Uh, the worship service this past week is a quote from The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. 
He says this, it fits right in with what I just said. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Infinite and unfathomable in an unfathomable joy comes most of all when in our humility God is glorified in us for his own sake, not ours. Is that a little redundant? I don't know. <laughs> Infinite and unfathomable joy, I want to say that again, comes most of all when in our humility God is glorified in us for his own sake, not ours. It causes us to ask in every situation this one question. We can ask it a couple different ways, I suppose. How will this glorify God best? Every choice, every thought, every action, every interaction, every response... Every relationship, every hope, every desire, every prayer. How will this glorify God best? Or will this glorify God? That becomes the only question that really matters. Period. Though our desire for God's glory may start with things like trusting in Him him in the first place and loving Him, interesting thing happens. Though it may start with those things, that love and that trust are deepened. They are deepened more by a passion that takes over a passion that takes over for God's glory in a way that nothing else can. Our faith grows. Our obedience becomes a pleasure. We find a peace that is indescribable. We gain a contentment that is so restful that it feels like this exhilarating exhale. (sighs) And we are set free to be what God made us to be for His glory and love every moment of it. The best part, the very best part of living for God's glory is the overwhelming joy that comes from the satisfaction of seeing Him glorified while giving no thought whatsoever to the benefit that we might receive from it. The best part of living for God's glory is the overwhelming joy that comes from the satisfaction of seeing Him glorified 
while giving no thought whatsoever to the benefits that we receive from it. That's when you know that you have died to self and fully delight yourself in God's glory above all else. That's all that matters. That's what we live for. And so that's what truly satisfies. And everything else in our lives then becomes a conscious act of worship like never before as we become more and more aware always in His glory, that we are in His glorious presence as though even in His throne room. Let's look at that. We'll close with that. This is what it looks like. If we go to Revelation 4, read a portion from chapter 4 and from chapter 5, where God's glory is at the center of worship and essentially at the center of the book of Revelation. It's at the center of worship because that's what really calls us to worship. Worthy, starting at verse 11 in chapter 4, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then over to uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 11 again. Then I looked, And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Father, above all else, glorify Yourself in our midst. Glorify Yourself in us that we may all the more glorify You so that that's all we see. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to go ahead and stand.